And thanks, Pauline. Right, straightforward passage for us to get our teeth into this morning. Everyone's thinking, I've got that already. Um, it's true to say that Daniel chapter 7 works much better as a Hollywood movie than it does as a written script. But they didn't have that option open to them. So imagine for a moment that it is a Hollywood movie like the one that you've seen recently, like the James Bond, Spectre, or whatever it's called, or the Holly, or the Mockingjay, what's that called, Hunger Games? Uh, and so when lots is going on in the scene, and it's tempting because all the detail is written down to get distracted in the detail. We'll step back this morning, I'm going to cover a whole chapter in one morning in just the next 20 minutes in order to help us pick up what the main themes are, rather than get uh, distracted along the way. The book of Daniel works like this. Chapters 1 to 6 are the story of his life. You remember that he was in the lion's den at the age of 75, 80. He survived the lion's den, and then at some point died. And therefore, the story chronologically comes to an end. Uh, 7 through to 12 chapters of Daniel are prophecies, revelations that God has given him at different times during his life. So the first part of the book is kind of chronological to a certain extent about what happened and, and, and kind of sense the order in which it happened. And then the next seven chapters, sorry, next six chapters are prophetic words, revelations from God. And this is the first one of those that helps us understand why Daniel was able to remain unshaken in a shaking world. How do you remain unshaken in a shaking world. It's apocalyptic in style, meaning that it talks about the way things will end, but to a certain extent, the way things are, and therefore the way things will end. A bit like the book of Revelation. How things are and how they will end. Verses 1 to 8 can be summarised very simply. History rages. History Rages. Verses 1 to 8 is a revelation from God that there are great empires that will rise and they will fall. And these empires, these kingdoms, these earthly domains, these earthly rulers and earthly authorities are beast-like in nature. So think for a moment about the blockbuster movie analogy. Think about a moment when the filmmakers are trying to create for you a feeling. Uh, And maybe it's a feeling of terror, a feeling of being overwhelmed, of being fearful. And so they will use different factors in the movie to create that. The lighting will change, the soundtracks will change, it will go silent for a moment, perhaps to build in some suspense. You will get glimpses of something that's coming. It's that kind of literature, verses 1 to 8, speaking to Daniel about the reality of history. History rages again and again and again and again. It's terrifying and it's beast-like. We might be tempted, though, to think that history is beast-like and terrifying. The things that happened a long time ago are like that. But today we're much more civilized and much more sophisticated. The way God reveals history to Daniel in chapters in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 7 is to say that history is not an ever greater progression to a greater good, but history is a pattern rather than a progression. 
History goes round and round and round. Empires that are beast-like rise and they fall and another beastly empire rises in its place and it falls away. The lament of scripture, why do the nations rage and the peoples conspire and plot in vain? It's always been thus, that verse in the Psalms that then Peter uses when he's preaching in, in Acts. History, a pattern, not a progression. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it can be for us overwhelming. There has been a shaking this week, hasn't there? History's raging this week. And there's been a sense this week, has there not, that history repeats itself all too quickly, all too soon. And if we ever be in danger of thinking that we're progressing, then this chapter creates for us a reality check. And why was God giving Daniel, I can only surmise, why was God giving Daniel such a clear picture of how terrifying and beast-like history really is? I think because if Daniel was going to stand up and face the history of his day, he needed to understand its reality before he could be unshaken in the midst of it. We can be tempted to live our Christian lives by shutting ourselves off from the history that rages. I'd rather not think about what happens overseas. I'd rather not think about the pain and suffering that other people are going through. I'd rather not think about the horrors that are going on in the world. And there is a temptation to shut it all out. But here, before there is some great hope, God says to Daniel, look, face the reality. Be real about the world in which you live. That history rages. But then just like a blockbuster movie, the, cha- the scene changes ever so quickly. You've got all this terror going on, all this sense of being overwhelmed and out of control, and then suddenly a new scene emerges that is calm and orderly and peaceful and bright and altogether different. So as we move from verse 9 forward, and Sally's going to come and help take us through it, verses 1 to 8, the terror of history raging, Verses 9 through to 15, God reigns. History may well rage, but our God reigns. Morning, everybody. (coughs) So in these next few verses then, we see what happens as Daniel is, let's face it, up to this point, as Simon's saying, He's in a nightmare, isn't he? He must have wondered, whatever am I going to see next? This seems out of control. Who is in charge? And then as he looks, Daniel starts to see this totally different picture, this sense of reverence. We think Daniel is watching from afar at this point, don't we? But actually, he wasn't. He was plunged into the action. He was there in person. We know this because in verse 15, it says, he approaches one who was standing before the throne. So Daniel has this priority seat. God really wanted him there. He wanted him to get the feel of the event as it happened. And what does he see? He sees the Ancient of Days. 
The Ancient of Days is a phrase only used in the book of Daniel. Ancient, we think of old. It suggests wise, but in biblical terms, it means more than that. It encompasses the idea of everlasting to everlasting, from the first to the last. In other words, we're looking at the eternality of God. This eternality is part of God's character. He is the one who existed before anything else. So here is Daniel in the presence of and watching the Ancient of Days. His clothing is white as snow, his hair purest white, all symbols of glory, splendour, purity, old age and wisdom. I can't imagine how that would feel. Do we have any comparisons? Well, you might get nervous if you went to Buckingham Palace and saw the Queen across the lawn. You might get even more nervous uh, if she came and spoke to you and you were in her presence, but even that doesn't do it for me when we're thinking about seeing God seated on his throne. And I know that one day we will see the Ancient of Days, you and me, seated on his throne. As Daniel continues to look, he sees that God is a consuming fire. He is so holy, you cannot get close to him without being touched by the flames. This holy fire can be a fire of judgment and destruction, but it can also be a fire of mercy that cleanses and purifies. And we see that God is surrounded. Perhaps angels that are ready to carry out his commands to obey him, but there's ones that stood before him. They might be waiting to do his bidding also, but I wondered too if perhaps they were waiting for the court to start. Are they waiting to be judged like we will be one day? I'm not good at numbers, but this was an absolutely massive court. I've gone ahead of myself. Let me go back. What happened when the court was seated? The books were opened. There is a sense of drama there, isn't there? A feeling of expectancy and tension. This is no lackadaisical court, like you see on telly with Judge Rinder. This is God, seated on his throne, about to call everyone to account. As we've said, we are not alone. This is a court where God is in charge. It is his kingdom, his domain, and God reigns. As we move on to verse 11, we see what happens to the fourth beast. 
as he comes under God's fire of judgment. This beast was full of pride and arrogance. He kept whispering, almost taunting God. He has no respect or acknowledgement of who God is. And as Daniel watches, the beast is destroyed by fire. As we've heard from Simon, the beast signified earthly kingdoms. The kingdoms were beastly in nature. They had a lot of power, control, violence, full of evil. The beast we saw showed no mercy to others and therefore was shown no mercy. God is a God of justice and so his justice reigns. This can be applied to us today. We have a choice how we should live. We can be of this world, proud, abusive, tempted by materialism, lacking in compassion and forgiveness for others. If we turn our back on God, then we may suffer the same fate. This is really hard to hear, hard to understand. But it is one of the truths of the gospel. Jesus says in Matthew, love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, treat others as you would be like to be treated. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the Bible, pride has always signified failure, not success. We've already seen in previous weeks that Nebuchadnezzar had to go down into the pit of madness and lose everything before he gave up his pride and humbled himself before God. It was pride that caused Peter to deny himself, to deny Jesus when he was asked if he knew him. But as I said, we have a choice. We can choose to live how the Bible teaches us, to be obedient to God to follow the teachings of Jesus and to follow God's will and purpose for our lives. Or we can choose to go our own way. What does God want for his children, do you think? If we carry on looking at the passage, the other three beasts were not destroyed. They were stripped of their authority and control, but they were allowed to live. Why? Because God is a God of compassion and he loves his people. Here is God's fire of mercy. God is giving them time to repent, time to make a change, time before judgment is passed. God sees the bigger picture. Just go back a moment and remember that Daniel had this priority seat. Why did God want him there so much? God wanted to show Daniel all of these things so that Daniel could give encouragement and hope to his own people who were in captivity. Daniel will be able to tell his people who were suffering bad times, persecution, oppression, injustice that it is God who has the last say in all things. God will deliver 
judgment, sorry, God will judge in the end times and deliver perfect judgment. This was reassuring and encouraging to Daniel, and it's reassuring and encouraging for us today. It's what all of us want to hear, because there is a part in all of us that cries out for justice. From early years, children are very quick, aren't they, to cry out, that's not fair. We are born with an inbuilt sense of seeking justice. Why? Because we are made in God's image, and it's part of his character. I don't know about you, but I don't know the answer to the recent world events. But I do feel a huge sense of injustice for the victims in Paris or those on the Russian aircraft that were blown up, for refugees fleeing persecution. I'm not sure what the answer is to stopping one lot of people persecuting and torturing anyone who believes different to they do. It is beyond my comprehension that people can do such things to others. But I am thankful that we have a God that knows the answers. He sees the truth in the hearts of men and women and he will see perfect justice delivered through his holy fire of judgment and mercy when the time comes. God is in charge. Finally, in verse 13, Daniel is shown the Son of Man coming on the clouds into God's presence. He is given all authority, honour, sovereignty over all the nations of the world and his eternal kingdom will never be destroyed. We can see the contrast here. The beasts came from below, but Jesus comes from above. Where are you looking this morning? Are you looking down? When we look down, we can be overwhelmed. It can feel like God is far away. We can lose our focus, change our behaviour. We can become bitter, jealous, angry. When we look down, we reject Jesus. We stumble in spiritual darkness, frustrated, disturbed, fearful. Life is a mess. Or are you looking up? We can look up to Jesus, light of the world, especially at Advent as we look forward to Christmas. Jesus' life and his teaching in the Gospels is our instruction manual on how to live and how to keep looking up. It tells us how we should behave to others. We should love our neighbours, treat others as we would like to be treated, Show mercy, compassion and forgiveness to others. If we do, we can expect mercy from God. Because blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. God can make the light penetrate our lives, if we will let him. It is our choice how we live and where we look. A few years ago, I was privileged to witness a total transformation in a guest who came to Harn Hill for a healing week. I don't remember her name. 
I don't remember why she came. But I do remember is that when she arrived on the Monday, she could not look anyone in the face. Her head was down, her body was withdrawn. She sat in a corner of a room to start with and sank into the furniture as though she'd disappeared. She was hiding in every sense of the word. She was definitely looking down. The world was a very dark place and she was at rock bottom. As she went through the week, listened to the teachings, had time to talk, was allowed space, she met with Jesus. She started to look up. It was absolutely amazing. Her whole body changed a little every day. She started to stand taller as she dumped her baggage and in exchange received forgiveness and healing. She started to sit and mix with other people as she found her voice and eventually she smiled and her whole personality lit up. She started to shine. By the end of the week, she was a different person to the one who had arrived. It was a privilege to witness her looking up to Jesus. Where are you looking this morning? Great, thanks Sally. So history rages, but our God reigns. And the scripture doesn't promise us that there'll be no disturbance in Syria or the Middle East. Scripture doesn't promise that your neighbor from hell will move somewhere else. Scripture doesn't promise us that we're moving towards a better world in the human sense. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. So if history rages and God reigns, the final part of this chapter reminds us of a wonderful truth and promise that we're rescued. History may well rage, but today our God reigns and we are rescued. Who are the ones that are rescued? The holy ones. But the holy people of the Most High, turn to the person next to you and say, do you know what? I think I'm one of those holy ones. Now you say back, no you're not, I know too much about you. (laughs) But actually the truth is your holiness has got nothing to do with how well you behave. It is a gift from Jesus. Which is why everything about this morning is a reminder that we look to him. Where are you looking? The ancient of days will come and wrap up history. History that rages is from a God's perspective, like a storm in a teacup. And that in no way is to minimize the pain and the agony of all that takes place here on earth. Jesus himself has entered into every bit of pain and agony of this world. But he will come. But he will come. He is coming. Because there is right now a different scene, a different story. And that's God in his heaven. God above all, who is both judge and of great mercy.
It's an amazing truth. And Daniel was learning that as he looked into that heavenly scene, the truest of all true realities, the knowledge that God still reigned and one day would usher in the fullness of that reign to the kingdoms of the earth, he could stand unshaken in a very shaky world. I'm going to invite you as John and the others come and lead us simply to choose this morning to look to Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Christ himself is seated. Let's stand together.